This is Think Sustainability. Today, part two of how technology is connecting us with the natural world. From producer Shane Anderson. It sounds like a rainforest. You can hear the peaceful twittering of birds in the trees above and the gentle flow of water from a stream nearby. You can almost hear the humidity in the air. But none of this is real. So can you describe what you're seeing now? So right now I'm in the VR lobby. Uh, this is a custom entry point, I suppose, for the experience. So it's a. This is Ryan Watson, head of community engagement at a not-for-profit called New Horizons. And we're not in the middle of a rainforest. We're actually at New Horizons Sydney headquarters. And today, Ryan is here to guide me on a virtual reality journey through Australia's natural environments. Our destination today is the Great Barrier Reef. I just point straight ahead and when my little mouse is hovering over it, I, I click on it to enter. So I'm in now to the reef and I'm having a look around. I can see some people that are snorkeling and paddling around. If I look down, I'm, I'm directly above some really beautiful coral. I can see lots of fish. I'm sort of moving through at a nice pace through the reef, almost as if I was scuba diving and swimming under the water myself. Lots of amazing coral life and fish. And I'm sort of coming up now out of the water and I'm flying over the reef. I can see some boats, um, some little sandbars and islands off in the distance. And if I look down, it's just the beautiful turquoise waters of the Great Barrier Reef. It's really so, it's, it feels so real. Have you been to the Barrier Reef in real life? Yeah, I'd been to the Great Barrier Reef, but never in a helicopter. And to do that sort of really low flyover over the Great Barrier Reef for me was the really kind of cool thing because it was a perspective I'd never had on the, on the reef. We often think of technology as creating a barrier between us and the environment that we're too busy looking at our screens to appreciate the world around us. But there are ways technology can help us to engage with nature on an emotional level, and it can open up doors to a world that, for some, seem to be permanently closed. Look, I think it's a great question to ask, is, is how does technology enable us and, and how do we make sure we do it in a way that's inclusive? Ryan and the team at New Horizons came up with this virtual reality experience in response to questions like this. The project is called Parallel Parks, and it aims to use technology to not just assist people, but to empower them. Parallel Parks is an initiative that's uh, aiming to help people with disability and other mobility issues to be able to remove barriers and access places, parts of the world that they may never have otherwise been able to access through the power of virtual reality. They wanted to know how they could make Australia's national parks more accessible, because why shouldn't the benefits of being outdoors be available to everyone? At first, they had a couple of ideas as to how to do this. One was raising money to build things like ramps within the national parks. But this came with a whole set of problems. Well, there's obviously really high cost and a lot of complexity in being able to make some really inaccessible and remote places accessible. 
When you have a disability or an accessibility issue, holidays look a lot different. Before you've even left the door, you could be racking up an enormous bill. For me or you to go to the Great Barrier Reef might cost us a couple of thousand dollars with airfares and accommodation. That's a much more costly and involved process, travelling with carers, making sure that they have appropriate disability access at every place that they're going. Those sorts of things make it a lot more complicated. So they thought, why not bring the parks to the people, using virtual reality technology that's already available on the market? My name is Catherine Marie Smith. I am a young 50. This is Kath, a program ambassador for Parallel Parks. She was also one of the first people to try this virtual reality experience. I like to go biking on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I love playing with my cat Matilda. Kath has limited mobility. She uses a wheelchair to get around and communicates through text-to-speech software. This is clearly no barrier to her active lifestyle. I had a chat to her about some of the challenges she faces getting out into nature. I would like to do more in the way of activities. It's a bit hard for me. There is not even accessible rides in the Blue Mountains. I wanted to go on the train ride up and down the hills, but couldn't. It is ridiculous how much it costs for me to do very basic things. Have you ever used virtual reality before? I had used VR once, but it was a long time ago. Which experience is your favorite and why? I chose the Great Barrier Reef because I am a water baby. It took me back there. I had been once before. Why do you think VR experiences of nature are important? Parallel Parks is important because it brings exposure. If I could have the experience of going up and down those hills in the Blue Mountains in VR, I would. But, I would always choose the reality, smiley face. Virtual reality experiences of nature aren't supposed to be a replacement for that feeling of the sand between your toes or the smell of the salty sea air. For someone like Kath, it's a way of reliving her experiences of the real world and to help her plan for her next trip. For someone like Ryan, it's a way to see a place you've already been from a different perspective and gain a new appreciation. Ryan says that we should see this as a tool. We, we don't want people sitting inside day in, day out, experiencing the world through virtual reality. There needs to be the right mix. But I think when you look at the power of the technology to be able to assist people to enjoy an experience that might not otherwise be accessible today or tomorrow or next week, that's, that's really where the power of this technology lies. And Ryan found that parallel parks could even go one step further and actually create a whole new experience. At a recent demonstration in Sydney's Martin Place, Parallel Parks invited members of the public to come along and test the equipment as part of their crowdsourced funding campaign. A young gentleman in a wheelchair was there with his carer, experienced the Great Barrier Reef, and when he took off his headset at the end of that experience, the best thing of all was when I looked down, I didn't see a wheelchair. (music) 
It's not surprising that people experiencing a place in VR feel inspired to get out into the real thing. Research has shown that VR creates a feeling of empathy for whatever it is you're viewing. It's why humanitarian organisations have actually started using it to move us to help people donate to campaigns. However, this actually backfired earlier in the year in Sydney during a CEO sleepout, a charity fundraising event where business leaders camp out overnight to raise money for homeless shelters. The event was widely criticised for having a virtual reality experience of what it's like to be homeless, designed to inspire people to donate to charity. Obviously, showing rich people images of homelessness still hasn't ended poverty, and it raises questions about just what impact virtual reality has on the way we see the world around us. How far does this empathy actually go? When it comes to places like the Great Barrier Reef, which is under threat and will likely disappear in our lifetime, could a virtual reality experience not only change our attitudes, but inspire us to act to save it? I had a chat to Glenn Albrecht over Skype. He used to be a professor of sustainability at Murdoch University, but now he's retired to Maitland, about two hours north of Sydney, to live in a sustainable house with chickens and a lot of birds. I've got about 130 species that flit around here during uh, any given year. I'll stop for a second and listen and tell you what we've got. We've got golden whistlers. We've got uh, white-throated tree creepers. And I can hear in the ba- in, right in the background a whistling kite, which is very nice. You have a very attuned ear to 130 species of birds. I'm a bird nut, that's why. <laughs> Glenn says the past couple hundred years of technological change have alienated us from nature. We live in cities and urban complexes mediated via technologies, and those technologies are by and large very alienating technologies with respect to the rest of nature and the rest of life. And in recent years, this change has been accelerating. What once were swamps are now high-rise developments – Bushland has turned into suburbs, and farmland has turned into mines. Glenn wanted to study how our emotional connection to the physical environment is impacted by these rapid changes. So he went to the Upper Hunter region, which is the heart of New South Wales's coal country. He wanted to talk to locals about what it was like for them to see their homes transformed by the destructive technologies of an open-cut coal mine. He was shocked by what he found. You can't sleep because the noises of machinery and, and the, the glare of lights is there all the time. Your daytime is disturbed because there's dust and noise. Your landscape is actually changing. What used to be distant hills is replaced by a wall of mine spoil. These mines work 24-7, 365 days of the year. So it's a form of hell which I think is not easily described in, uh, in ordinary language. Everyone said they were distressed. Glenn realised that this change has been happening so fast that we didn't even have a concept for it in the English language. So he called it solastalgia. Solastalgia can be caused via technologies like the technologies that enable open-cut coal mines to proceed. The term comes from the words solace and nostalgia. No matter where you are, you've probably experienced this disturbed sense of place as the world around us changes. Glenn describes it as... The homesickness you have when you're still at home. It's not like medically defined depression. 
it's, it's a form of discomfort. So we can experience legitimate feelings of distress when our home environment changes. And it's because we feel that strong emotional connection. It's a feeling of our place being disrupted. But in the digital age, we're connected across time and distance like never before. What is this doing to our sense of place? I'm wondering how broad the definition of home can be. Can you be seeing changes happening to your neighbourhood, uh, your region, your state, and feel this? Yes, I, I believe it can be scaled up. And I've written extensively about the impact of climate change on the lived experience of negative environmental impacts. And on top of coal mining in the Upper Hunter, we have an you know, increase in temperatures, increase in the extremities of uh, different types of weather events. And I believe that solastalgia is a, an adequate way of explaining uh, many of our responses to a global causal factor, which is climate change impacting on us intensely locally. I mean, I've never been to the Great Barrier Reef but I've grown up with images of it and a sense that it's an Australian environment and that it's very unique. And then also experiencing in the past couple of years, like knowing that that environment is being destroyed and it will probably likely never come back. Is that distress I feel so nostalgia, even though I've never been there? Technically, because you've not been there, it's not so nostalgia, but it's obviously a form of virtual solastalgia. We have such extensive media coverage of what's going on in the world now that I'm, I'm happy for people to, to, to see that that empathy for the Great Barrier Reef is similar to the kind of experience that you would have if you were directly experiencing the reef firsthand. This virtual solastalgia can bring out a feeling of homesickness for a place we feel digitally connected to. We are experiencing genuine feelings of distress when we see images of coral bleaching or virtually dive through the crystal clear waters, knowing that climate change is destroying it. But Glenn says this feeling isn't as strong as it is in people who do actually experience the reef on a daily basis. If you look at the statements from scientists who are studying the reef firsthand, they describe uh, an incredible sadness and melancholia about what is happening around them and their people that are experiencing solastalgia, you are experiencing it vicariously or virtually via their work. Technology maybe has a double-edged role in that because I don't have a lived experience of the Great Barrier Reef, but technology, media saturation, documentaries just replayed over and over throughout my life have made me feel as if I do have a connection to it. A A good example of what you feel is I, I've actually studied the impact of the film Avatar on people. When the film was first released, many people experienced a, a sense of profound sadness when they left. Yep, Glenn says people even feel empathy for the movie Avatar. The virtual world of Pandora with its floating cliffs and impossibly tall trees and incredible colourful creatures. People wanted so badly to be a part of that world that when they left the cinema and they were confronted with the car park and the noise and the traffic, they felt that same distress. They wanted to remain within the virtual world 
of Pandora because they found it to be a far better place to be in than the, the brute reality that they were about to confront in the car park. Ultimately, Glenn isn't sure that this virtual solastalgia is a good thing. I do understand how the virtual world is now, in some respects, a surrogate for the real world. But I do believe that that ultimately is still a form of uh, deep alienation from life and living processes. And indeed, if you follow through the logic hard enough, the virtual world and its digital extensions is now responsible for approximately 10% of the world's contribution to greenhouse gases and climate change. Our desire to use technology to feel empathy for the natural world is also contributing to its destruction. When we put on the VR headset, all we can see are idealised visions of nature and not the environmental impact that we've also caused. We're still disconnected from reality. There's no way that we can avoid this really nasty corner that we've backed ourselves into. We are now experiencing the destruction of the world and its living processes via a system that is in fact a major contributor to it. In fact, our virtual experiences of nature are not only contributing to the industries that produce fossil fuels, but it's also having an impact on the real versions of those places. Tourism numbers have risen sharply in places popular on Instagram. This is Jeremy Walker, lecturer in environment at the University of Technology, Sydney. I mean, I went to a waterhole a couple of weekends ago, which I'd never heard of before. And, you know, I searched it up on the internet and I was really surprised at the sheer number of people that turned up, international travellers, to what would have been like a really locals-only place. Jeremy says that the appeal of nature on places like Instagram goes both ways. The more we live in artificial environments and I guess the more sensitive we are to the kind of perilous situation of forests and, you know, the the more we realise the increasing rarity of places, the more we want to see them. Technology is causing huge problems for our environment, but could it also provide the answer? We've already seen the positive effects of virtual reality and how it can help people who face accessibility challenges get access to places that might normally be closed off to them. But what if those places were closed off to protect the environment? Ryan again. One of the ideas was could we be filming destinations that because they are so fragile are actually off limits to everybody, not just people with disabilities, but they're under such pressure or facing some very extreme threat. Could we allow people to experience these places without creating the kind of impact that it would have by visiting those places in the real world? VR could have a potential use to give people access to places that humans are destroying. Working alongside the environment like this is also a step towards what Glenn sees as the future of human-environment relations. He wants humans to work alongside nature to create technologies that give us everything we need, but also don't harm the environment. Glenn calls it the symbiocene, which is a kind of alternative to the anthropocene. Which is the current major way of conceptualising the extent of the human impact on planet Earth. We are now the most powerful organising force on the planet. The symbiocene is about thinking of technology as part of our environment, about reintegrating tech into our natural processes. Instead of innovating for the sake of innovation, we can use it to create a society that is fully renewable, 
reusable or recyclable. As a young man, I was involved in demonstrations against wood chipping. The Vietnam War was part of the anti-nuclear movement. And all those things I thought were important at the time. But at the moment, I can see nothing more important than having this planet in a fit state for human habitation into the future. This program originally aired on Think Digital Futures. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Think Sustainability. This program is made in the 2SER studios in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation.